It's a grind. It is just, I've read all the books and everyone talks about, oh, you know, zero to one, the lean startup, struggling manual. But every day you're going to learn something new and you're just going to make so many mistakes. And then you're going to realize, oh, I did that wrong. I got to redo it. Or, you know, other companies didn't have this problem. Why do we have this problem? Now, you're not the first person to have these problems, but mm. it's you and it's your company. And it's your idea. And the climate's different. I mean, COVID aside and all that, like it, life is different now than when a lot of these books were written two or three or four or five, six years ago. So things change and it's always kind of this fluid environment. Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, the uh, serial entrepreneur and uh, founder and CEO of uh, Miller IP Law, where we help startups and trade or startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. And today we have another great guest on today, um, Todd, and I'll let him introduce himself a little bit more, but to give you a bit of a background, he's done graduated construction management, got a job right as the market crashed, which is probably the worst type. But at least in his defense, I was about, I, I timed it better. I was uh, graduated and they are after the market just started recovering the legal field because the legal field was there, hit hard with the crash as well. But then he did that for a few years, decided after doing that for a while, he wanted to change. And so he went to a more liberal job or uh, construction management and a company. And uh, then he decided after that, he was going to go do his own thing. So that's my brief introduction, but welcome to the podcast. Devin, yeah, great. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. <laughs> well, great to have you on. So I'm sure I did. A, I slaughtered your whole introduction, but I tried to give the highlights. But maybe if you want to uh, tell us a little bit more about your journey and kind of what uh, where you've been and where, what brought you to today. Excellent. Yeah, sure. So right now in my current role, I'm the CEO of a small startup called M2X.ai. Uh, M2X stands for measure twice. So there's an old construction adage, uh, measure twice, cut once. Um, if you ever try and cut a piece of wood and you cut too much off, then you're in big trouble. So it's always easier to take a little back bit more after off. you cut it off. Yep. Yeah, you can always you can always take more off, but you can never put more on. So um, our construction tool, we are a digital construction tool, uh, focusing to be a planning studio that creates software for the productization of construction. And we'll kind of dive a little bit deeper into what that means. But we want to bring some productization to what construction is. Uh, we know that products in general, when you buy software, you use a tool, you buy a car, uh, it has a schedule, it has a price, it has specs, um, it, has, it has a number, it has a value, and kind of builds that way out. Uh, construction is not like that really at all. It tends to still be, let's just go do it, and then when we're done, we'll know what we have. So we want to bring a little bit more uh, scalability, repeatability, and predictability to the construction design uh, engineering process. Oh, cool. But, well, it's a great intro. So now if we were to Take that, and so that's where you're at today. And right. the inventive journey is obviously, as of the name, the journey of what you got today. So maybe then taking that and saying, backing up, how did you work your way up to that, or where did you start at and led up to where you're at today? For sure. So I went to Michigan State, a proud graduate in the uh, construction management program. And right out of college, I started working at DPR Construction, which is a very large general contractor, like a top 15, top 10 based on revenue in the U.S. Mm. And they're a great company. Uh, I, you know, moved from San Francisco, or sorry, I moved from Michigan to the Bay Area and had a great experience with about three years with them as a young job site engineer. When you're a young engineer on job sites, you're doing uh, requests for information, you're doing submittals, change orders, a lot of paperwork, a lot of documents. And three years was long enough to look at people that were, you know, five, 10, 15 years older than me and realize that, you know, it's a pretty tough gig. 
to be a job site superintendent or product manager and then eventually work your way up to a product executive. Uh, it's a lot of hard work and sometimes it's a lot of travel and it just wasn't exactly what I was in, in love with. And DPR is based in you know, the Bay Area, founded in Redwood City and kind of a forward thinking, more liberal, if you will, when it comes to large general contractors. And they said, what do you want to do? So I kind of poked around the company for a little bit and was fortunate to meet two gentlemen, uh, Dean Reed and Atul Kazodi, who had come up with an idea to take what's known as Last Planner, which is a post-it note kind of pull planning system. So traditional planning starts on day one, and then you just push your way forward, which keeps pushing the schedule out. Um, a bunch of smart guys and gals at Berkeley uh, in the 90s and 2000s came up with this idea of pull planning. So planning backwards, which is what most people do you know, naturally anyway. Like if you have a 7 p.m. flight, you got to be to the airport by 6, you got to be in your car by 5.30, you got to start packing by 4, you kind of work backwards. Well, they took that concept and applied it to billion-dollar construction job sites. And in doing that, they used these post-it notes. And post-it notes, they would track them on Excel, and you'd have to do all this manual work, and then it was sharing an Excel file to a share drive and who owned what, and someone taking photos of 500 stickies on a wall. And um, Dean and a tool within DPR had an idea to say, let's make a software. And I was available. So I said, sure, throw me in there. The two of them were working their, you know, 50 hour a week jobs as is. So I kind of dove in, helped them out uh, as much as I could, read some startup books and we had some wireframes. Then we built So I'm going to, I'll jump in for just saying, so you were working, you, you started out and you did the original construction uh, company, decided, hey, looking at the prospects, you know how long it's going to take, what it'll look like when I even do, if I make it, and, and that's going to be a long road. So you switch to, to the, you know, what I call the more liberal construction management, better suited, better fits your lifestyle, you know, or what you're looking for in a, com- in a company. And then you have the, the friends, you know, kind of the last planning or staking the idea and then planning backwards, which I, I think makes a lot more sense because otherwise you just plan forward that you don't know when you're going to end or what the end point is or when you're going to hit that. So I think that makes good sense. But did, so when you, when your friend came up and, and decided, Hey, we'd like, this is the idea. Want to get you involved. Want you to you get your feedback. Did you just jump off from the other company you're at and just say, okay, I'm all fly, or I'll feed in, you know, that jump in, I'm going to quit job and go out, go chase a dream. Did you stay with the company and work this as a side gig or how okay. did that transition make? Yeah. So th- we actually came up with this internally at DPR. So um, this was like a little small side project within DPR. And we knew in order to make it a real thing, we actually had to like break away and become a subsidiary. So it was more of like an incubation from uh, DPR, which is interesting because now tons of large general contractors and many Fortune 500 companies are doing this left and right now. And I'm sure they've been doing it for decades. But this was one in the construction space. This is one of the original tools that a large general contractor, a billion dollar company said, we have an idea. Let's break this off as a freestanding company. Let's give them a couple hundred grand in seed money. And then from there, it was two of us and then three of us and five of us. And we grew and hired product managers and a couple of salespeople and engineers. So we were a small incubated company that ended up getting over a couple million dollars in ARR sales and actually, you know, was a freestanding company seeded directly from DPR construction. So and, that, and that's one, and hitting on that note, I think it's an interesting one. So one of the issues sometimes you have with when you have an idea and you say, hey, you know, whether it's originates in the company or it's just why you're at the company, you know, you can either go pitch it to your current employer and see if they are interested and want to invest or want to develop it. But sometimes you're saying, if I take to my employer and they pick it up, 
then I lose control or I can't do it myself or I can't. So, you know, how do you make the decision of let's do it within the company, split it off? Do I pitch it to my employer? Do I, you know, do it on my own as a side hustle? Or how did you, you know, at least for you, how did you make that decision or transition from starting within there and then moving it out? Exactly. So it's a good question. Yeah. So doing it inside, um, pretty young at that point. I mean, 23, 24 ish and didn't was in the Bay area, but didn't know a lot about that startup game. I know people like Zuckerberg and stuff had billion dollar companies by the time they were 24. So not, not that hard to think I could have left and maybe try and do this on my own. But at that time, especially to, you know, still kind of coming out of the recession, this is like 2011 ish things aren't that great. And it was really baked internally inside the company. And you know a lot about law and IP. So I do think uh, if we had formally left and then tried to found this company and go raise money, then word would have got back to them pretty quickly. Hey, we were paying these guys salaries for the last year. They were doing all this work on our computers. They were testing the product or testing some of these ideas on our job sites before they actually left. So I don't think at that time it would have been, uh, we could have run into some big trouble if we were like, hey, thanks for all your time, energy, and effort. We're just going to go try and raise this company and, and do it on our own. Um, so that was pretty much the predominant reason for uh, needing to stay inside of DPR. No, that, that makes complete sense. And I think that there's even a bit of the honorable thing. Hey, if they really have paid for the salary, you've done it on their time and effort and dime, they should have, you know, reasonable reach into it or be at least have the option to pursue it, given that they were the one that devoted a lot of the resources and, and uh, paid the salary during that period. So, I, you know, but it's a hard one because sometimes you're saying, hey, I got this idea. I don't want, I want to do my own thing. I don't want to be within the company, but I'm worried that if I go pitch it to them or if they do it, then, then I'm not going to be able to do it or they're going to take it over. I'm going to lose control. So I think it's a hard balance. I just think it's an interesting one to get. So, so then you decide, okay, we started this off in the, within the company. It reached a point they were saying, okay. And I think it's what we talked about just a little bit before the podcast of, you know, kind of got to the point where it wasn't their core company. It wasn't their core mission. And right. so it made sense to spin off saying, Hey, this isn't what, our main focus is the company. We think it's a great idea. So let's spin it off, invest in it and let somebody else pursue it outside of our, our normal business or arrangement. So you did that and you set it up and then, you know, remind me how long ago was that that you originally spun it off and got it going? Uh, so 2012, we became a freestanding company. January, 2012, we formally left DPR uh, construction, became a freestanding company, ran that for about two and a half years and then were acquired by Autodesk in the summer of 2014. So okay. it was about one year inside of DPR, baking the idea, maybe a little bit more. And then we had a gentleman who had a lot of experience in the space and, uh, you know, was in his 50s and had been there, done this a lot and had a lot more tech experience than I did. Mike Davison came over and became the CEO of our plan um, at that time and really took us from this, hey, we're on dozens of job sites and we're really great internally to, hey, this is a multi-million dollar business and we can sell this to all sorts of people around the country and our competitors or people in the space. So let's go out there and turn this into a true SaaS product and go sell it. So we did that for about two years. And after two years, we got to the point to where we were doing enough uh, sales and had enough revenue that we became an acquisition target. We ended up talking to the three or four larger um, competitors of Autodesk and got into a good little uh, situation with a couple of interest from a couple of folks and then were acquired by Autodesk and rolled into Autodesk in 2014. So I think if I remember when you, then you got acquired by Autodesk, which is, you know, that's always, you know, bittersweet in a sense. Sometimes you're saying, oh, it's exciting. It's a great opportunity. 
And yet, you know, it's a bit of a giving up a bit of the baby or giving, you know, turning the control over. But then I think you mentioned that you, after that, you went and traveled around with Europe and did sales for a period of time. Is that right? Exactly. So in uh, um, Autodesk took a couple months to rebrand the product and get it out there. They brought it into their BIM 360 suite, which is all construction technology, job site tools. And the new product is called BIM 360 Plan, which is cute because it's a planning tool. So that, that makes plenty of sense for them. And um, it took them a while to rebrand it. And when they did, they said, oh, we could use someone in Europe to really lead this new effort. So at that time, I was a subject matter expert in lean, the full planning process. I had a lot of consulting experience. And, you know, one of the co-creators, co-originers of this idea, who better than me to move over to Europe to help lead this effort. So in Europe, my main role was in pre-sales, helping salespeople understand exactly what we had, um, how to sell this thing over in Europe, and then me learning a ton too that, you know, let alone cultures and languages, but the Germans and the French and the British and the people in the Nordics and stuff, they all speak and act and behave differently, but they all sell differently as well. So it was a lot of me going to different offices to say, here's what we have. And then them going, oh, okay, well, the Germans are going to want these three or four things. And then the French team going, well, we, French people like to buy this way. So it was a really neat experience to go to, I think I went to 10 or nine uh, different offices throughout Europe over those th about two and a half years I lived there. Um, helping lead the sales and consulting effort. And um, that was kind of my main role was helping push that product, um, shaking a lot of hands, going to a lot of meetings, going to conferences and uh, representing the company and helping train other people in, you know, what exactly is this product and how do you sell it? Hmm. No, I think that's insightful. So then you do that, you do that for, you enjoy the Europe tour, tour and I kind of look at it. It's almost kind of like, you know, you typically hear graduated from high school. I'm going to go, you know, backpack throughout Europe for a while. Well, you sold or got your company acquired and then you went, uh, did your Europe tour for a while. But then I think when we talked a little bit before, you said, you know, the pace got to be a bit too slow as far as you're looking for something with a big quicker pace, wanted to be able to do something, you know, and that's, a, I think, typical with a lot of big companies. It's always kind of ironic, you know, as a, a startup or a small business, you have to pivot, you're nimble and everything else, and you're, you know, more willing to take on a risk because you have to because you're small, and yep. then you get big, and then you kind of get slower, and you're not as nimble, and you know, it's kind of that hard thing as a, a company grows and gets bigger to try and keep the culture or keep the way that you want to go about business the same, but then you decided, okay, done Autodesk or worked with Autodesk, did Europe for a while want to come back to the U.S. And so how did you make that transition for, okay, I'm going to come back to the U.S., going to start to find something as my own pace and the pace that I want and, and, and re-engage on a, a, new, a new idea or a new startup? Yeah, definitely. So Autodesk was a great experience. I worked with a lot of smart, talented people. I loved what I learned in that time frame. And Autodesk is a, a huge machine. The amount of things that happen in a company that large with 10, 15,000 employees um, was amazing and enjoyed that. But like you said, it can be a little slow. So back in the airplane days when there were five or 10 of us in a room, if we wanted to come up with a new idea, we wanted to move a button, we would talk about it for a day and somebody would knock something up and then we would test it and then we would release it. You know, that same type of conversation could take, you know, several weeks. Um, but then again, you're not talking about hundreds or thousands of users, you're talking about tens of thousands of users. So, um, the, you know, the stakes were much larger and a little bit slower at Autodesk. So I did knew I wanted to get back into the Bay Area Three years in Europe was long enough for me to go, I enjoy my time here. I don't want to live here forever. So coming back to the Bay, I uh, interviewed a bunch of construction tech companies. Definitely wanted to be early at a company. And that's what led me to a company called Rundix, which is a timekeeping and productivity app company. And was there for just over a year, um, maybe a year and a half in a sales role. So that was the first time I had a formal sales role, joined to be sales VP's uh, right-hand man and had a great experience in, in learning that. 
Um, uh, that gentleman, Josh, ended up resigning about, I think, three months into my tenure. So the CEO, Zach Scheel, and myself led sales. You know, Zach was still signing all the checks and was the head man as the CEO. But I ended up inheriting a large sales team, a lot of BDRs, a lot of salespeople. A lot of them had more experience than I did and were older than I did and, you know, knew that I wasn't a sales management guy through and through. I was kind of hoping to be the right-hand man there for a year or two, you know, really uh, learn a lot and gain. And um, just like in any startup that's a pre-series B, pre-series A type company with, you know, 20, 30 employees. When I left, we were about 60 or 70. Um, a lot going on, right? You're drinking the fire hose, you know. You just, it's just next, next person up whenever an opportunity opens. So that was a lot of hard work, a lot of fun. And I learned more about sales and sales management in, you know, 14 or 15 months than I ever thought I could. But again, it was enough for me to go, I think I want something, you know, being the first guy in, uh, being one of the leaders, one of the co-founders, really owning your future um, is a little bit different than being, you know, number four or five or six on the totem pole and uh, kind of having to, to work with what's around you and, and restraints and all that. So um, that time in Rumbix was great, but it was also, the writing was on the wall a little bit that, hey, you know, I don't know if I want to be a sales VP in a year or two, and I just don't know if I want to kind of grind through sales, startup sales, um, you know, in a full-time capacity going forward. So that kind of got me to the point where maybe it's time to, uh, to look for something else. So then you decide, okay, you're going to look for something else. And then how did you, how did you land on where you're at today? Was it, I always had that idea and you just finally had the opportunity to chase it. Was it, you know, somebody else came up with the idea and approached you and you, or, you know, co-founded together or, you know, started to survey what, you know, different things you could do or how did you kind of land on the, the idea and the, now the business that you're running today? Exactly. So my technical co-founder, Brett Young, um, had been a friend of mine that I had met through years of conferences and events, and he's a very big BIM guy, so build, building information modeling for those that aren't, uh, you know, necessarily in the construction design space. Which is so the of us, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so um, he, Brett is, you know, a few years older than me and spent about 10 years in the field, and then he pivoted into uh, BIM, building information modeling, design work, consulting, and spent a lot of time in there. He then spent a couple of years really in the gaming space. So trying to bring a company called Unity. So he worked at a company called Unity, which is one of the largest gaming development platforms in the world. And he was looking at construction design tools that he had worked with for 10 years and all these gaming software tools and said like, these things are pretty similar. Why does it take hundreds of hours and training and all this heavy lifting to use construction design tools when you play Fortnite or you play World of Warcraft or you just pick up the remote and a five-year-old can figure it out. So he started thinking there's got to be a middle between these two. Why can't we do a lot of this design construction work in a lot of these Unity-based platforms that are much faster, easier, cheaper to develop? There's about 1.5 million developers of Unity out there across the world. And there are 10, probably hundreds of millions of people that play video games every day versus the tens of thousands or maybe hundreds of thousands of people that do construction software tools. So he really focused, sat in his basement for a year, really got heavy into the coding, heavy into that work, and then got to a point where he had a product and a couple products that we're working on that he kind of poked me with an email and then said like, hey, you know, I'm thinking about needing a co-founder to come do sales and marketing and all that. And I was like, hey, you're not quite ready. Here's two or three things I think we need some work on. And then a month later, he was like, hey, you know, like, what, what do you think about this? Can you sell this? And I would say, hey, that's really good, but I don't, I don't know if you have something that, you know, justifies me quitting my, my full-time job and, you know, not taking a paycheck for the next year because I know how this works. Mm -hmm. um, and finally, he got to a point to where he was like, hey, I, I need somebody and this is what I got. So 
I, it got to the point where I was like, you know, I'm ready to jump off the ship. So um, left Rumbix, uh, took about a month off, did a little bit of traveling. And then now Brett is my co-founder, technical co-founder, and I'm helping uh, with sales, engagement, uh, marketing. Okay, cool. So now you, so you make the jump, you finally say, okay, I'm, I'm in on the ground floor. I'm the founder, you know, or co-founder. We're going to do this. We're going to do it the way we want, and it's going to be fun. Everything was smooth sailing from there. No bumps, no everything. It was just a hockey stick up to uh, success, or how did that, uh, in reality, because that's never the trick, never the case. How did it go as you jumped in and uh, started, did the startup and started uh, doing or pursuing that? One step forward, two steps back, just every single day. It's um. It's amazing. So at our plan, when we were kind of... Well, hopefully it's two steps forward, one step back. Otherwise, you're going in reverse. Yeah. Sometimes it feels like that. It really does. You know, when you've got 10 things to do on your to-do list that week, and you get eight of them done, but another 10 things got added to your to-do list that week, you're like, did I move forward this week? Did I get anything yeah, that's, done? That, I'm usually off. I usually have 10 things, and I walk in the office. I'm like, okay, I can get these things done. And then I, then I get pulled aside, have to, and then I, I still have those 10 things, but then I have five more things to add on to that. But yeah, no, I completely get that. Yeah, it's, um, so at our plan, we had that, you know, our seed money was coming from GPR. So we didn't, I wasn't out fundraising. I wasn't out worrying about money. I wasn't, you know, worried about hiring people and like, where's these checks going to come from? We had a billion dollar corporation behind us. So that, that game and, and that world is very difficult to try and push your way through that. Now, right now we're actually, um, we're, we're bringing a fair amount of money in the door. And we're being able to pay our developers. Uh, we've yet to pay ourselves yet, which is just part of the, part of this game right now. Uh, we haven't formally raised uh, any outside funds, but we're just kind of waiting a little bit. You know, the more traction we can get, the more users we have, and obviously the more revenue in the door we have, um, that will make fundraising a little bit better. Um, and right now, the climate's a little questionable. Some people say it's it's actually a really good time to go because people are being a little tighter with funding and, and handing money out, which means there's just more money out there. But then again, a lot of the people that have been kind of hurting through some of the stocks going down, a lot of those angel people um, are, are, are questioning some investments and being a little bit tighter as well. So we're uh, yet to go in the process to really hit the, hit the ground on the roadshow, really focusing on product and our users. Uh, we have full uh, customers right now that are all using our products and our tools. So they're all paying customers. And then, you know, we have dozens of people logging in. Uh, we are to an MVP product but it still needs a little bit of hand-holding on our end from our developers and from ourselves. So we do have a consulting touch to the company and to the org to really, we're still kind of pushing some buttons and, and doing some magic behind the scenes. Um, but we are planning, you know, absolutely this calendar year, uh, maybe Q3 to have a full product that is out there actually selling uh, and more of like a plug and play SaaS type model. Okay. No, I think that sounds like things are, uh, in uncertain times, but still moving in a good direction and, uh, and uh, moving forward. So that's awesome. So yeah. now as, so I always have my last question. I'll ask one more before my last two questions, which is, sure. so you look at the next six months, six to 12 months, kind of where do you see things going? Where, what's the direction? What's the uh, focus and what are you guys planning on doing? Yeah. So the next couple of months, we really need more usage. Um, we need more user feedback before we want to launch. We do have three products right now. Uh, knowing our space and our size and where we want to actually accelerate to, we're probably going to need to put all of our chips behind one of those products and really push that going forward. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of room for growth in construction um, tech in general. A lot of what construction tech is is taking paper processes and digitizing them. So people are very proud of the idea that um, oh we have drawings but now we have them on iPads or 
oh, we had, you know, paper cards. Now they're uh, in the cloud or our finances are now in the cloud. So, but it's taking a lot of paper old school processes and just digitizing them. Whereas they don't actually build tools that are, you know, in the idea of software focus first. So the idea of, oh, we're just digitizing old processes instead of going, just because these are how we do it, does that mean we need to do it that way? So one of our big focuses is kind of going back and saying, you know, it supports the idea of drawing the blueprints, but that's the old way of thinking. We really want to like replicate how people actually build buildings and drawings and models are just a byproduct of that digital process. So we need to kind of pull plan, work backwards and figure out what are the best steps to actually create these buildings and how work is actually built and then create software tools to do that. So our main focuses are to really dial in on exactly what we have and to get more usage in there and prove that out and then get to that point to where we have a product where we need people saying, if you took this product away from me, I don't know what I would do. Like that's the definition of a great product for me is if I go to my computer and my internet's down, I am screwed. Like I literally can't do my job. So we need our product to get to the point to where someone were to say, if our servers just went down, I would want a hundred emails flooding my inbox. My, you know, my support people going like, what, what is happening? So we need to get to that point and we're close. We're knocking on that door. And that's the goal is to get to a point to where we have a product and a service that is so in demand that we're, you know, getting more inbounds than we are now and that people like, kind of live and die with us. No, I think that's, that's great. So I think that that's a good goal. And hopefully uh, as you work towards it, you're accomplishing it and you have people down, knocking down your door at any time your server's down, making sure that they, they get it back up. So, all right. So with that, we'll, we'll jump to the end of, or jump to the, the questions I always ask at the end. Um, so I'll jump or dive into those now. So the first question I always ask is, um, what is the worst business decision you ever made? Right. So, um, this is a tough one. I think the question around like what is, I think why is really what the question, that's a good question, but I think it's more why. So like why was that decision made? So whenever I made poor decisions in my life, professionally or um, personally, they were usually in moments of despair or haste. Uh, my back was up against a wall, didn't really have a lot of options. That's when bad decisions get made uh, when you think you're under pressure. So I really like to think of pause and stop. And maybe that pause is, 30 seconds, maybe it's an hour, maybe it's a day, maybe it's something to kind of sleep on. But anytime things are kind of blurry or uncertain, if I can just kind of pause, step back and really think about it. Anytime I'm under haste or if business isn't going the way it is, you know, I really try and do five whys, which is like a lean technique that's well documented. So asking why five times to truly get to that root cause of that problem. So anytime I've taken that pause and thoroughly thought out decisions, um, it's really opened up a lot of opportunities and turned some tough situations into some good ones. So that's going to be my, um, my main answer there is it's more along the ideas of why. So some, you know, kind of examples of poor decisions I made, some of them were with, you know, employees, you know, tough to having let people go or, you know, keeping someone on for too long. So a lot of this, I think, is just kind of stretching things out to say, well, we put so much time into that product, like we're just going to can it or to spend, you know, I've spent hundreds of hours on decks that literally have been thrown away. So that's another good one for startups. Yeah, you know, no one's going to remember your first website. No one remembers your first deck unless you become Uber and then people pass them around and, you know, in chats and on Twitter and say, oh, look at their first deck. They got a billion dollars out of this. Um, so don't hammer stuff that hard in the beginning, um, whether it's business plans or marketing or, you know, your messaging or your vision. We spent days on our vision and our slogan putting 
commas and it's, is it it's or it's, you know, it's like, you know, in the grand scheme of things, that's small stuff. Um, you don't need to lose sweat over, but on the bigger decisions, I think the five whys and really understanding, you know, what's the reasoning we're doing this and is it really going to be the best thing, not just today, but in the long term. No, I think that's a great lesson to learn. I like the why as well as well. You were almost, I was almost going to hammer you and tell you you had to give me some examples, but then you saved yourself at the end. And so I didn't have to hammer you and say, you have to give me an example. That's probably the attorney in me saying, hey, I need, I, you didn't get, you answered a great question, but you didn't answer the question I asked, but you did a great job. So, all right. Second question I always ask is, um, so somebody that's just wanting to get into startups or just getting into startups, so kind of in that phase, what would be the one piece of advice you'd give them? You, um, a couple of them are, I mean, it's a grind. It is just, I've read all the books and everyone talks about, oh, you know, zero to one, the lean startup, startup owner manual. But every day you're going to learn something new and you're just going to make so many mistakes. And then you're going to realize, oh, I did that wrong. I got to redo it. Or, you know, other companies didn't have this problem. Why do we have this problem? Now, you're not the first person to have these problems, but mm -hmm. it's you and it's your company. And it's your idea. And the climate's different. I mean, COVID aside and all that, like, it, life is different now than when a lot of these books were written two or three or four or five, or six years ago. So things change and it's always kind of this fluid environment. So you're going to run into a lot of issues and problems. Um, I think making the same mistakes twice is obviously like where the huge problem becomes like making mistakes is fine. You know, you know, you learn more from your losses sometimes than your victories, but uh, just not making the same mistakes. So someone getting into startups, um, it's a real grind. There's going to be a lot more happily dealing with lawyers and dealing with a lot of outside factors that like you just didn't think part of like, oh, I'm going to build this product. And then before you know it, I'm going to be picking out what yacht I'm buying. Um, it's really not there. Um, I think things are much slower to start, especially in the beginning. A lot of people look at companies and exits and IPOs and all that. And you got to know that 99% of companies will never get there. And a lot of companies end up having like a year or two of not much, not a lot of growth, a lot of difficulties a lot of you know questioning yourselves a lot of founder depression and like is this is this make any sense like uh, my checking account literally keeps hitting zero like so you know you gotta have a lot of faith in yourself so kind of high level ones are um you make a lot of mistakes just don't make the same ones twice two uh, i think really be in love with what you're doing going thinking you have an idea because it's going to make you a lot of money or because it's going to be the next great thing uh, if it's not something you're passionate about, it's not something you lay in bed thinking about, you know, what am I doing this for? You're going to spend more time, your life's just going to be involved in this thing, and it's going to be your heartbeat. So if it's not something you know a lot about, or you want to know a lot about, or you really care and are passionate about, um, it's probably not really going to work out, to be really honest in that regard. So um, make a lot of mistakes, don't make them twice, and then go into something that you really care and are passionate about and you have some background in and you have some expertise in, or you can get some expertise in and something that you really, whether this is a billion dollar company or whether after two years we have to shake hands and just kind of walk away that in either of those situations, you can walk away going, I put my heart and soul into that. I did everything I could. We were super successful and got a lot of money out of it and, and changed the world or we were successful in a different way and that it was quite a journey I learned a lot. I had an impact on my space and I can take that knowledge and that experience and then go on to the next idea. Oh, I think that's great advice for everybody. I think that uh, certainly is, uh, makes a, a good amount of sense. So, and I even got two or your top two instead of your top one. So that's even better. So, so people want to reach out to you. They want to use your product. They want to get involved. They want to invest. They want to, uh, 
know more about it, what's the best way to reach out to you? Yeah, so uh, our website is m2x.ai. Um, so that's our main website right now. Um, I'm on Twitter at T-O-D-D-B-E-L-K-I-N-S. And then uh, my email address is Todd, T-O-D-D at m2x.ai. Um, so yeah, happy to talk to people and whether they're um, folks that are interested in what we're doing um, in the space, investors, people that, that, that want to try out what we're, we're involved in or other founders that are, you know, going through the same journey. Um, love talking to other founders and other people. And like, you know, you put five of us in a room and everybody's got the same problems, but they're a little different and everyone's got different solutions. And I, I learn more every single day in this space than, you know, you can learn at years at, you know, huge companies and, and, and just kind of sitting at your desk and just following the path and, you know, sticking to the manual and, and doing what the person next to you does. Uh, when you kind of go out on your own and there's only one or two or five of you in a room, that's when, you know, rubber meets the road and you really start learning a lot about yourself. And uh, that's why I think when major growths come, which are some of the biggest advantages of being a small startup. Well, awesome. I think that's, uh, appreciate you sharing that. And I think that that's uh, some good thoughts and words of advice as well as a great way for people to reach out to you. And just uh, that's Amazon Mary, two is in uh, the number two, X is an X-ray and then dot AI. And um, so people want to reach out, they'll make sure to, to reach out to you and then strongly encourage people to do so. Um, if, well, appreciate you have, or coming on, and it's been a fun, uh, fun to chat with you. Um, for those of you that are listeners, if you, if you have your own journey you want to tell, um, certainly feel free to apply to be a guest on the podcast at uh, inventivejourney.com. And if you are a listener, make sure to subscribe on any of the channels so that uh, you can hear the new episodes. And uh, for those of you that are, need any help with patents and trademarks, feel free to reach out to us at Miller IP Law, and we'd love to help. Thanks again for coming on. It's been a fun, uh, fun time to hear your journey, Todd, and to uh, see how things are going and look forward to uh, hearing more about your journey and wish you the best journey and going forward. Thanks again, Devin. Pleasure was all mine.